from what I understand, uh, you all have been in a series of, you asked for it, questions that have been brought together over time um, that you all actually have chosen and presented to be spoken of and answered. And uh, I was blessed when returning back outside of Pastor Dave, of course, saying, um, welcome back. We miss you. Now, I need you to preach on the 12th uh, to get the, 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 the concept behind these questions that many Christians struggle with. And to get this particular one, I was delighted, uh, mainly because a lot of what, 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 what I've been going through and what we've been doing, and not, not just my home, but also with families that I minister to and uh, organizations and, and literally places where I've gone, I've talked this issue through so much. I pray that through God's grace and goodness, you'll get some of the same things that I received. And as you leave here, of course, my prayer is that you will not be this, the same. You'll be different than the way you came. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for this time. We thank you, Lord, for the gathering. We thank you for South Potomac Church. We thank you for the man of God here in this place and Pastor Huffman and his family. God, we're grateful for the questions that literally were brought forth from your people, from your leadership, from your congregate here just concerns that they have in terms of Christian living as this one is. How do we live for your son, our savior, Jesus Christ, in such a world that is dominated by sin and dominated by evil suggestions and dominated by seemingly the presence, the real presence of evil? How do we as Christians live within that type of society, within that world? Well, Father, we know by the power of your Holy Spirit this morning, you will rest that and answer that for us. And that we'll be prepared uh, to live for Christ even more so. Not that we have not to this point, but even more so we'll get a charge of motivation and encouragement so we can be that much more strengthened. And possibly even pass that on to our families that maybe not even here or friends so your word can have further impact, not just with ourselves within us, but also those that we are close to. Even so, we say, come Lord Jesus. We thank you, Father, for what our, what our Savior, your Son, did for us on Calvary's cross. We ask the Holy Spirit now to have complete control and take us forward into your wonderful word, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. You will notice that I put here, and how do I live for Christ, in, I put an evil in parentheses, because that's how the question was given to me. How do I live for Christ in an evil world? When the question I kind of rephrased and took the evil part and said, what you really want to know is how do I live for Christ in the world? Because of sin, the world is evil by literally not definition, but just by the fact that the fall of man brought sin into the world. Of course, the fallen angels, uh, satanic angels, dem demonic presence, whatever the case may be, they've created what we have as evil. But I want to make sure that in context you understand we're talking about living for Christ in this world. And this world is inherently evil. I'm not saying there's not any good to it, but because our father had to send his son, our savior, Jesus Christ, please understand inherently the world is evil. John 17 and 14 will be a verse that we come back to. Uh, toward the end of the, the word today, they are not of the world as I am not of the world. A prayer spoken by Jesus for us as believers, first for his disciples and then for us. But before we get started, I'd like for you to, to take a look at a video that I have entitled The Typical South Potomac Christian. Now, as you're watching this video, I want you to understand this is just a typical member here at South Potomac. And I want you to see how this particular, just, just, just this sample member. Any member, it could be you, sir. This is how we live in a world 
of evil, or just let's just say in the world. Can we roll that? That uh, that's us right there. That's how we make it do what it do. The focus of the gentleman when he woke up in the morning was to jog. That was his focus. He understood where his greatest battle was. It wasn't external, it was inside. To get himself to get up and motivated to go and jog, regardless of the surrounding circumstances, that was the battle. The genius behind the slogan, just do it, is just that. It doesn't matter what's around you. It only matters what you're prepared to do. If you're prepared to do it, you're going to do it regardless of the circumstances. And what I liked about the most about those two South Potomac members is no matter what was going on around them, they continued to jog. And it still extended courtesy when they passed each other in coming. They didn't stop to have a long revival to see how their day was going, which they could have done, because their focus, their mission was to get the job done. And in getting the job done, no matter what was going on around them, and there was a lot going around them, Terry, stuff blowing up, people being robbed, ATM machines being robbed, but their focus, their primary focus, was not to show people how to jog in turmoil. It wasn't to show people how to refocus instead of focusing on missiles, just grab yourself a pair of Nikes and run. Their focus was to get up, hit the, hit the street, and complete the jog. And if you noticed, about three-quarters of the way, they got tired. We do get tired, don't we? In running this race, doesn't it get difficult at times dealing with the fatigue of your own self? And a lot of times the fatigue that we feel is established, not established, but, but brought on to us by external circumstances and sometimes internal. So we had to stop and take a breath. But even in stopping, delay was not denial. He completed his run. The question of living for Christ, or any person for that matter, requires two things. Knowing your purpose, that's number one. But then number two, your willingness to concede to that purpose. Once both of these two things have been fulfilled, living for Christ is easy. But first, we must understand what our purpose is. When many Christians ask themselves, how am I going to live for Christ? Their first concern is external. How am I going to live for Christ? How am I going to keep his commandments? How am I going to walk and follow and do when I'm surrounded by so great a, cl a cloud of witnesses that are negative, bad circumstances? How am I going to deal with the foolishness and still remain in Christ? No doubt many that are married Wives probably ask that question out all the time, especially after year five. How am I going to stay married to Terry? Is it really going to happen? By year one, it was easy, but now it's year seven. Year 10. I don't even like the way he smells in the morning anymore. Not you, brother, because I'm sure you smell fine. But regardless of the circumstances, Cindy just has to keep getting up. Sometimes you just have to know how to keep going. But Cindy has to know her purpose. You have to know your purpose. If you're going to live for Christ, the first thing is understand there is a purpose. There is a kingdom that we are required to live in. In your Bibles in Matthew chapter 5, we're going to look at that today. Not all 48 some odd verses. But we're going to look at a few key verses. Very important for us to see what, what Matthew 5 represents. Because in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus Christ, his first sermon, Sermon on the Mount. Many of you heard of it before. How many have not heard about the Sermon on the Mount? Outstanding. It was our Savior's very first sermon. Multitudes surrounding him. And what does it start with? 
the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And it goes on and on and on, all the way down to talking about salt and talking about light. But here's the point. Jesus was introducing the kingdom, a new set of rules, a new kingdom to be absorbed that would end up living within and not without. He was outlining purpose. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to read verse 11. Verse 11 in Matthew chapter 5 says this, Blessed are you when people shall insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets which were before you. That message of being blessed in the midst of persecution helped us to see better how to deal with outside circumstances. How to deal with times and individuals and things that happen outward. It's so easy to blame the out when our Savior wants us focused in. Christ said it is not what comes out, I mean, it's not what goes in to a man that defiles him. It's what comes out. It's the matter of the heart. The question you have to ask yourself is what are you prepared to do once you understand the purpose? The world is not going to change unless they see a reason to. And many times, South Potomac, you become that reason. You provoke that change, not by what you do to others as much as, much as what you do from within you. So I wrote, alas, it's not that simple, or is it? We tend to allow outward circumstances and conditions and people to turn just do it into Maybe I'll do it and maybe not. And then that gets further watered down to, I don't, think it be, I don't think it needs to be done that way. All the way down to, it cannot be done. How did such a transition come from, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to get out of my bed and jog. I'm just going to be the right, the right type of Christian husband that God expects of me. I'm going to live the Christian life that God requires of me. What makes it so difficult that just do it becomes it cannot be done. It's in you. It's what you allow to change what God has given you to do. Now, I'm not going to tell you it's easy because it's not. How many remember the conversation that our Savior had in the Garden of Gethsemane? What did he say? Father, if it be possible, let this cup, what? Pass, but nevertheless, what? Not my will. He was, he, was, he was showing us specifically how your own personal will can get in the way of what God's will is. I wrote in my notes this statement. Selfishness makes it more difficult to just do it. In fact, the more selfish you become, the more easier it is not to do it. It becomes it cannot be done when you start reflecting on your purpose, vice God's purpose for you. The struggle's internal. What many Christians have to decide and ask themselves is, are they willing to fulfill and find the purpose that God has for them and then live in it? Now, we know what the purpose is. 
Matthew 5. We just don't have time to get into the details of that Sermon on the Mount. Although, again, there's a couple more scriptures I do want to show you. But he was rolling out his purpose for us. He was showing us what this purpose was. How to live in the kingdom, which came, by the way, with a whole different set of roles and responsibilities. If you have two coats, give one away. How many have more than one coat? Come on now. Don't be, uh, there you go. It's not enough, the act itself of adultery. But if you lust after a woman or man in your heart, you've committed it already. I'm not going to ask that question. I'm going to go to the next example. If you have a problem against your neighbor, don't even bring your tithes and offerings. Leave them at the floor and go and deal with your issue with your neighbor and then come back and give. The Beatitudes are filled, I'm sorry, the, Matthew chapter 5 is filled with purposeful ways of living, meaningful ways of living, how to live within the kingdom. An illustration and example after example, illustration after illustration shows us that sin begins where? On the inside. It starts with what's in the heart. It starts with how you think. That is the battle that keeps us from fulfilling God's purpose for our lives. And the more we deal with those things and the more life kind of throw, throws things at us, the more we slowly but surely get weaned off of what is God's purpose. We're too stuck on our purpose and that's how it becomes difficult. Life is all about setting realistic expectations. Next slide, please. Oh, you're already there. The Heavenly Father would never put more on us than we can bear. Our Savior would never request any more on us than what we could accomplish. But yet living for him can seem so impossible. How many know that's true? He doesn't give you more than you can bear. In fact, he says, take my burdens upon you because my burdens are easy and my yoke is light. He says it over and over in scripture. I have a way for you to live and it's easy for you to live. But the problem in living for Christ rests in the fact that you have a design for God. You have an idea. You've taken a look at your talents and your skill sets. You already have a list of ways that God can bless you. But how can the thing that is made say to the maker of the thing, this is how I want to live. This is where I want to be placed. This is the seat where I want to sit. And Christians internally struggle with that. Struggle with finding not just what God's purpose is for them, but more importantly, being able to settle with that purpose. It's difficult. I hear it in conversations with loved ones and family members all the time, as well as with conversations I have internally on my own. God would say, son, what if my will for you is to sit right here till I come? Are you kidding? Sit there till you come. There's stuff I want to do. Well, that's problem number one. I made you to sit here till I come. I remember a vase once that we bought, really nice vase. 
And um, I remember having a conversation with the boss. And I know before you call me crazy, hear the end of the story, and then you can call me crazy when it's over. Because I often have conversations with myself and things that don't talk back. I live with five girls. So I was having a conversation with the boss. There's an appreciation when you can talk to stuff that don't talk back, you know. So, so if I'm going crazy, it's because... Never mind, I'm, that's an excuse. It's internal. I'm, I'm greater than that. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I was having a conversation with the vase. It's a nice vase, too. And I wanted to put it in my office. Now, the, the foot traffic in my office at home, it's not, it's not very, it's not, not a whole lot. Only I go into the office. Sometimes my girls will go in there or others to do work, but for the most part, it's me. And a lot of times I don't go in there because sometimes I'm just not available enough to go into the office. But it's a really nice vase. And I could almost hear the vase say, I look too nice for you to have me in here. I need to be out in the living room where everybody walks by and can see me. And my thought to the vase was, no, you're going to be right here for me to enjoy when I come to see it. And if nobody comes to see it, you're fine because I put you there. But it kind of fit home specifically with the message here, if that were, in fact, a real-life conversation, which, of course, it wasn't. But as beautifully and as well put as you're made, as talented as you are, as many gifts and things that God has given you, could you be at peace where he would put you? If it's not heavily trafficked, uh, trafficked with foot traffic, if everybody doesn't get a chance to see you, if you don't become the wealthiest man in North America, or the wealthiest woman in Maryland, if you don't become the governor of the state of Texas or the president of the United States, if you don't become one of the greatest music directors in the world, which we happen to have here. I forget, where's Ernest at? God bless you, sir. You're very good at what you do. But if you never become what you feel like the greatness that you should aspire to, is that enough for you just to simply be used by God? If you've never packed houses singing an anthem and you sing here at South Potomac or maybe in your bathroom, is that enough for you? These are issues that many Christians deal with. And because they deal with them, they set unrealistic expectations or the expectations that they do set, they expect God to bless. You ever did that in prayer? You got your list of stuff you want God to enhance. I've been good, God. I'm getting this stuff. I've been dealing with these people. I've been on time to work. I've been loving folks that don't love me, so this is what I want and this is where I want to be. Where God is saying, son or daughter, that's your reasonable service. I'm not here to play Santa Claus. I'm here because I have a plan for the earth. I have a plan in your life. I have a plan in your neighbor's life. But many times we don't get there for one reason or another because we're too busy, self-focused on our own stuff. But he never, put, he, he never put more on us than we can bear. Our Savior would never request of us more than we could accomplish. But yet at times, for whatever purpose, we can't seem to live within that. Now I've got another example I want for you. Next slide. This is a personal one. I can remember telling my daughters, and they're here, and they'll vouch for it. I can remember telling my babies, listen, it's easy to get a 4.0 in high school and college. I don't hear any, any amens out there. 
And I would tell them this over and over again. In fact, what I did was I changed it. I went as far as insisting upon academic excellence. You can do this if you want to. They looked at me as if I was crazy, much the same way you're looking at me, like I'm out of my mind. Actually, I'm not. Here's what I told them. I said, the teacher cannot test you on anything that's not in the book. So read the book. Read the handouts and pay attention in class. Because the only thing a teacher or professor or instructor is going to do is give you as an assignment what they've went over with you in class or expected you to read. If you don't read it, then there's no wonder why you can't answer the questions. So here is the obvious next question. Then why don't people get 4.0s in school? Why don't we adhere to academic excellence? Because of the surrounding circumstances and distractions. How many know by the time you get to college, there's a whole lot more distractions than in high school? Anybody? How many know the distractions in high school are bad enough? You're going through puberty. You're, you're, you're running after boys or you're running after girls. You're trying to be popular. I remember having a conversation with one of my loved ones. I just want to do something. I just need to get out the house. You ever had that conversation? Learn to find peace at home where there's little, no, little to no distractions. I want distractions in my life. The more, the merrier. When outside circumstances pull at you, it takes you away from what you know you need to do. It takes you away from what you know your purpose is, and then before you know it, you're compromising that purpose. And you're finding things outside of that purpose to do, and it gets, it gets you off track. Just a small example when it comes to expectations. Now, from the outside looking in, when I say outside, from outside the kingdom of God, looking into the kingdom of God, it would almost seem as if those expectations were unrealistic. In fact, when I made the comment initially, when I, made the, when I, when I showed the example that I, that I demanded academic excellence from my daughters, a 4.0 or nothing, how many in this building honestly thought it was unrealistic? Gee whiz, only a few being honest. Amen, God bless you all. Or some of y'all are really, really with me, and that's exciting. But you saw it as unrealistic because outside of the Lawler household not being there and not realizing how simplified it is and how we're always attacking and going against, uh, going against distractions, it doesn't seem as if it's possible. And that's the way it is in the kingdom. In the kingdom of God, people will tell you that living a Christian life is unrealistic. People in the world will tell you there's no way you can stay married to one man or one woman. There's no way you can follow God's commandments. There's no way you can live a life of purity. There's no way you can be 19 and be a virgin. Amen. The world will tell you that. Where God is saying, I'm not putting anything more on you than you could bear. You can't stay married for 30 years, 40 years. Are you kidding? In this world... That's unrealistic. How can you live a life of piety? How can you live a life of purity? How can you follow God's commandments? They're unrealistic. Well, it might be for those that live outside the kingdom. 
but it should not be for those of us that live in it. Unless we have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. And that's part of the problem. And if it hurts, beat me up later, but receive it now. Because we make it harder than it has to be. If you wake up praying and you go to sleep praying and you're reading the word in between and living that life of, that God has given us through grace, it can actually be easy. Here's what I did. Call me crazy, but I did it. I, I had to shut the cable off. There's no good thing on TV. No, not one. <laughs> that TV made the battle even worse. You don't have to shout me down. Some of y'all thinking the same thing, kind of. Some of you are so in love with TV, you don't want to shut it down. That's why you're not going to say amen. I understand that. These are the things that make it difficult. I had to turn the radio off. Except for 91.9 and 104.1, gospel and praise and worship. It keeps me going. When I'm able to do that, when I'm able to pick and choose what I listen to, and I'm not going to stand here and tell you the struggle is over for me. It continues every day. But when you're able to take those distractors and put them where they belong, put them behind you, press forward in Christ for the mark, toward the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus, it gets infinitely easier the more you're able to do that. It's easy to be faithful to your spouse when you two are the only ones on the earth. Amen, somebody. So find a way to make it so. Limit date nights to those that are married if they're going to join you and that are happily in love with their spouse. Find the ones that are happily. And stay away from the ones that are, and you know the ones that, that, that you know, ride that fine line. Just listen to their conversation. Stay away from those. If you create yourself a situation to be set up to walk perfectly, or I should say walk in Christ, you will. If you decide not to, you won't. But you make that decision every day. You make it. No one makes it for you. You make it. You make a decision to turn it on or turn it off. You make a decision on who you call. You make a decision on where you go. Living for Christ does not have to be difficult. It's up to you. What are you prepared to do? Here's a concept. Outward distractions always make it harder, particularly when we lack self-discipline or we're unable to deny ourselves. Two words, discipline and deny. And discipline's important. There's nothing harder for me than to stay disciplined on my exercise track when I travel so much. Terry, it's hard. It's hard. Because I have a certain routine. And I have that routine set up at the house. And I've got a little gym downstairs. I've got country roads to run on. If I don't want to run on country road, I have treadmills. I have a routine, Terry. I'm ready to go. Fire it up. As soon as I start traveling, that routine just gets broken. All of a sudden, my boss wants me at this meeting. A commander wants me over there. And sometimes I just want to call the general and say, sir, can we push the meeting back 30 minutes? Because that's in the middle of my PT time. It doesn't happen, does it? So discipline, self-discipline, has to rise up in me to reset, recenter, and make my body get used to things that are outside of my normal ways of doing things. 
Discipline, by the way, one word that comes out of discipline is disciple. And if any man would be his disciple, they must first deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him. But staying disciplined, or staying disciplined, not only requires that you're able to deny yourself, but it requires inward motivation that cannot be stimulated outwardly. It has to be from the inside. Luke 9 and 23 says that, what I just quoted. If any man come after me, let him first deny himself, second take up his cross, and third follow me. And what's pivotal about that take up his cross is it doesn't say go get a cross. Nor does it say create a cross. Nor does it say imply that the cross is too heavy. All of us have a cross that we need to pick up. There's just times we don't want to pick it up. Sometimes it's self-indulgence. Sometimes it's the lust of the eyes. Pride of the flesh. Sometimes it's things that you don't like to talk about at parties or in church. But we all have a cross. And we all know what that is. And on that cross, Paul said, I'm crucified how often? Daily. He said, I die how often? Daily. And we as modern day Christians, we don't like to die daily. We like to compromise. We'll take a spanking over the nails. We'd rather be chewed out than be spanked. Just give us a good talking to and we'll be fine. Pat me on the head and tell me to do better later. It gets more and more and more watered down as we go because no one wants to confront the true issues of their cross. Why don't we want to deal with them? Because it's easier not to. I was listening to an interview of a young man that plays football for the Seattle Seahawks. And he has made a decision. And why it's been broadcasted over social media, I don't know. But the woman that he's dating is, a, is an entertainer. She's a very popular girl. And they've made a decision to live their intimate life the way Christ designed it to. They've made a strong decision that they're not going to enter into any type of relations until they're married. Social media grabbed that and ran it in the ground negatively. They called him crazy. They said, how can a man be, how can, how can a man on earth think, think that God's talking to him? Because in the interview, uh, the, the quarterback from the Seahawks, Seahawks, I can say his name, Russell Wilson, I like him, so I'm going to say it anyway. He made that commitment and said God has given him and showed him that that is something he should do. Here's why I'm bringing that up. I'm bringing it up for one reason and one reason only. Social media attacked him for being crazy, said it wasn't possible. In fact, they said the Seattle Seahawks organization should fire him. I want you to consider how difficult it is that people are trying to make it to walk and follow Christ. They just passed a law that allowed for same-sex marriages to be legal. And here's the tragedy, in my opinion, making churches perform them against their will. With all of this being presented, I understand how a question would come forth with how can I live as a Christian in an evil world or in the world? Here's the answer. The answer is it's in you. It's in you. 
Go to the next slide. I want to show you what I mean by that. In Matthew 5, chapter 1, I mean Matthew chapter 5, I want to read one verse, verse 13. I'm going to read verse 13, verse 14, and verse 15. It says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and, tram and trampled by men. It says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a candle and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your father in heaven. Now, the exciting almost conclusion. It's right there. How to live for Christ. If you notice, it says that you're the salt. And the salt has flavor within itself. It also says that you're the light. And the light shines in itself first. Isn't that what the scripture says? Well, here's what it doesn't say. It doesn't say you're required to make more salt. Nor does it say that you're required to turn somebody else's light on. The key to living for Christ is simply be the salt. Just be the light. You know what I like the most about light and salt? They don't judge. They don't point fingers. In fact, they have very little to say because they're too busy being it. The struggle within the kingdom is people don't see the sermon enough. They hear it a lot, but they don't see it. And all this country boy from Georgia is trying to tell you is if we as Christians would just be what Christ told us to be and deal with the issues that are keeping our lights off, that would be enough to live in this world. You're going to be in this world, but not of it. Skip to that last slide. Let them read that. Next one. In answering the question, not once did we make concessions for the world. In fact, living for Christ has very little to do with the world. Living for Christ is about you and what you're prepared to do. Last slide. The question of living for Christ while in this world is merely a consideration of impact. Stop there. I want to read John chapter 17, verse 4. Listen to these words clearly. If you have your Bible, of course, turn there. If you don't, please listen to John 17 and 4. Listen to what Christ is saying, but also listen to what he is not saying. Seventeen, John chapter 4 reads, I have brought you glory on the earth. This is Christ speaking. By completing the work you gave me. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world began. Now jump down to verse 14. 
Same chapter, verse 14. I have given them your word. Now he's talking about his disciples. I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world anymore than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world. See that? My prayer is not that you take them out of the world even as I am not of it. Or excuse me, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them, excuse me, that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. Now verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. Here's Jesus praying for you. He says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you and I, you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them, you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and love them even as I, even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. What Christ understood and knew is that simply by being the light and simply by being salt, you would not be liked. Have you ever noticed the way your children treat you when they're upset with your decisions? Anybody? I have like six hands I want to hold up in the air. Have you ever noticed how they stay away from you when they're upset with you? You haven't even said anything on Tuesday. You just came home. But yet they find ways around you. They don't come to say hi. And when it's time for dinner, they wait till you're done. And if you demand that they come to dinner, they come with an attitude. Anybody? Is it just me? Pray for us, brother. We need to be in prayer one with another. I'm so glad I haven't killed anyone in, in all of these years having children. Bless God. I'm just kidding a little bit this much. I'm kidding this much. No, seriously. The reason why people tend to stay or my children tend to stay away from me is because they know where I stand. Is anybody in the building? Because they know where I stand on the thing, they don't want to come around. They don't want to come say hi. In fact, they wish you were deployed again. <laughs> Sorry about that. that. I don't know where that came from. I don't know where that came from. When you become the light, see, you don't have to say a word. Just be what God told you to be. Walk in the victory that God called you to walk in. Stand the ground that God told you to stand in. Be what God has called for you to be, and I guarantee you, the world won't like you. They only want to be with people they can compromise with. We don't need to preach the sermons anymore. It's time for us to live them in love. Love those that might not have the same beliefs that you have. Reach out to those and be there for those that may not believe the same way you do. Just you don't compromise. You can say no with a smile. 
I have had practice. One friend said to me, Charles, let's go out and do this with, 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 with these people. I just smiled and said, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. Come on, man. No, I'm, I'm not doing that. And once you become that standard, once you become that light, once you become that salt, there's nothing else you have to do. Just get up and run. Just do it. Stop fighting with yourself about winning competitions of popularity. Stop worrying about people liking you. They didn't like Christ. You worship and serve him. At least I thought we did. Stop being so condemning and so judgmental. Meet people where they are, but in the light. That will be enough for them to stay away from you. <laughs> Not that we want them to. But when you walk in the light, you walk in power. When you walk in the light, you walk in anointing. When you walk in the light, you walk in victory. God bless you. Hallelujah. When you walk in the light, you walk as Christ has prescribed for you to be in the light as the salt. And keep this in mind. People never reach for the salt until there's need of it. If anything on the table should feel used, it's the salt. Because not now, one of y'all walk, walk, walk out of this building and start talking about salt in the car. Ooh, I love that sodium chloride, NACL. <laughs> but you let yourself get a hold of some lima beans that are unsalted. It's tough enough to eat them in the first place. Where's the salt? It becomes popular all of a sudden. People will seek you out if your light is on. Hallelujah. They will come and find you in a dark world. And keep this in mind too. For those of you that think the world is getting so bad and so full of sin, light always projects better in the middle of darkness. Right. Hallelujah. So, as my wife had to remind me, you're left here to impact the world, not for the world to impact you. And in my relationship with my family, my wife says to me all the time, Charles, please keep in mind, you're the parent, so act like it. You don't have that kind of wife, do you? See, I need to talk to you. That's, that's, what, that's what I'm married into. So here's what I'm saying to South Potomac. God has chosen you. You're the Christians. You're the light. Act like it. Stand to your feet. I know, a little untraditional, but stand up. Reach across and grab your neighbor's hand. Unless you're in a praise team. You don't have to grab it out of his hand because you have to make your way up to the stadium. All right, come on, grab their hand. Don't be shy. You might not know them, but grab their hand. Here's what I want you to do in closing. This is a difficult sermon to receive. I know that. God has inspired this word all the way from Central America. And it hit me so hard, I laid stunned for a while. Yes, it's hard to live in this life as a Christian, but only if you make it so. I want you to pray for the person's hand you're holding. You don't know what they're going through. I want you to take this selfless act and give this and, and perform this and give this to the Lord. You might not know where they live. You might not have come here with them, but I want you to lift them up before the Lord right now. Pray for them right now. Father, it's hard enough dealing with personal issues and struggles. It's even harder when those personal issues and struggles seem to be surrounded by circumstances and witnesses of doubt. 
And it seems to be even harder when the world seems to be going to hell in a handbasket. There are things going on that we just don't agree with, and we know your word doesn't. We just don't quite know how to articulate it as such. There are times even our own words become judgmental. People take them the wrong way. Our light flickers with personal demons. Our salt becomes saltless. Decisions we made in our past, they haunt us. Thoughts, ideas, you know where we are. You knew us before we were in the womb. This church, this church of Jesus Christ, not just South Potomac, but across the world, Christians are struggling with this. How do they keep their own lights on? Father, help us to find solace and peace in your word. Help us not to find victory in condemning others. Grow us beyond that. Show us that we don't need to talk down and judge others to make our own lights come on. No, greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. We realize that people have heard enough talk. It's time for us to walk. So every hand that's held, every person in this building, in Jesus' name, I ask you to give them the anointing to change from the inside out. I ask that, God, in Jesus' name, that you would help us to be what you have called us to be. Rekindle the filaments in our lights. Resurrect the salt and the salt flavor in us. And then, Father, I pray that every day we wake up, we just take one step at a time, fulfilling that purpose within us. No matter what's going on around us, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.